there are so many glorious things about him, so many amazing layers, so much, so much ama- amazing character interplay, so much meat. But I would not want to be in this person's path. I'd be destroyed. to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Did we vote or something? Welcome to They Coined It. I'm excited. Roberta. Dan. <laughs> well, it's exciting. We got here. We we have guests. We, we, we straightened up. We fluffed the pillows. We got guests. Or should I say you have a guest? All right. Here's what's going on. Here's, here's what happened. So first... <laughs> I am so excited that we have Alex Steed. You may know him from You Are Good, formerly known as Why Are Dads, and that he co-hosts You Are Good with Sarah Marshall, who also is the co-host of You're Wrong About. And and he's guesting on They Coined It, so I imagine he only is associated with podcasts that have three-word titles. This is what I'm getting. Exactly. But listen, this is this is yeah, so I couldn't make the I couldn't make the recording. There were so many scheduling scheduling things, and we tried every which way. Life happens. And so basically Alex and I are going to talk about the bulk of this very exciting, very exhilarating episode, Shut the Door, Have a Seat. So we will get to that in a moment. We're going to do some housekeeping. And then what we're going to do is Dan and I are going to come back at the end and we're going to do quotes and we're going to do just a little pickup of, of you know, we'll call that segment extras stuff Dan didn't get to say. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. So here's what's going on with housekeeping because it is the end of the season and you're probably wondering as we were, <laughs> what, are, what are the plans? Yeah. <laughs> So you may have already heard, but if you haven't, on the 17th, this coming Saturday, we will be recording They Joined It. See what we did there? So that's Ta-da. that's going to be Dan and I basically doing a live show. I'm putting live in scare quotes. It is, we're going to be doing a Zoom. We're going to be recording an episode. We're going to, we're going to have a topic related to season three. And there's going to be a, again, scare quotes live studio audience, some of our patrons. And then we're going to open it up to questions and comments. So we we can't wait. And then that's going to go out as an episode. And that's a thank you. That's a thank you to our listeners. That's a thank you to our patrons. It's a little different format and uh, something we, we've been really planning and looking forward to. And I know I'm looking forward to it because we get to meet a few of you and chat a little bit about the show and, and, and hopefully pull back the curtain just a little bit to have some fun. Can't wait. Can't wait. There was a lot of there was a lot of like, hey, can we be on your pod? So yes, the answer yeah. is yes. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> so this week, obviously, you are getting the season finale. Next week, the twenty second, Dan and I are going to do some kind of season wrap up, maybe top ten something or other. We're still working that out, but that's going to be a kind of a normal but non episode specific episode. And then the following week, you'll get the recording of the Zoom event. That'll come out as an episode. And then taking a nap and month of (laughs) August, we're going dark. Hibernating for the summer. Hibernating for the summer. Exactly. That is the plan. Truly. We will, of course, behind the scenes still be doing stuff because on September 2nd, we will be back with season four with Public Relations. We're coming at you. another amazing episode. So that'll be September 2nd. It'll drop August 28th to our Patreon members. 
And if you have any questions about any of this, especially about the They Joined It event, you can always reach out to us at questions at theycoinditpod.com. So that's it. So let's get to this conversation with Alex. A a warning. Warning is a very strong term. Um, We get into some light, light spoiler stuff. No big. Totally fine. Most of you are old pros anyway. But let us get to it and see you on the other side. Okay, last thing before we get to Alex, I promise. Um, I was supposed to take care of this while I was talking to Alex, and I didn't. Because uh, Dan usually sets the table. So here we go. Shut the door. Have a seat. Written by Matthew Weiner and Aaron Levy. Directed by Matthew Weiner. The original air date was November 8th, 2009. And it takes place between December 11th and 16th, 1963. In this episode, PPL is being sold with Sterling Cooper to McCann, likely making Lane expendable. Don, Bert, Roger, and Lane hatch a plan to start a new agency with Sterling Cooper's existing clients. Meanwhile, Betty initiates her divorce from Don. Now, let's get to it. Alex. Alex Steed. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I can't believe we're doing this. We're I'm finally doing this. Oh, this is great. Yeah, you've been suggesting Madman since I think we started. Literally. I was like, you guys should, I know you do movies, but you should talk about Don Draper. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's got some dad stuff. So do you want to tell us who you are? Like what your podcast, I can do it. Sure. Well, my name is Alex Steed. I am the co-host of a podcast called You Are Good. It used to be called Why Are Dads, but we've since uh, uh, broadened the scope a little bit. And my co-host is Sarah Marshall, and she also co-hosts another podcast called You're Wrong About. Um, And yeah, I'm a huge... Um, I'm a huge Mad Men fan and I'm a, a big Roberta fan. So I think that it all, this is a, this is a great confluence of, uh, uh coming together. Roberta has been suggesting that we, we at least touch on some of the themes in Mad Men's uh, literally, like I just said, since we started. So this has been uh, in the making for a while. Yeah. Alex's podcast is, it is now defined finally as a feelings podcast about movies, mm. but the original focus was on dads. (laughs) And as I'm, you know, as we were planning this, and we had chosen this episode, I don't remember all the parts. So like, I know, this is where they leave, right? I know, (laughs) this is where they, you know, this gets into the sort of Ocean's Eleven part. And it ends with Betty on a plane. But I didn't, but I was like, I hope there's enough feelings stuff and dad stuff (laughs) for Alex. And then as I'm watching the two scenes, the two opening scenes of like the Connie Hilton stuff and then the flashback I was like oh we're good it's jack it's a jackpot (laughs) this is my this is one of my all-time favorite television episodes ever made I think that's fair oh god it's so great and it it really every every character dynamic in this particular episode like this obviously this show is great but like every character dynamic can be unpacked for days in this one episode this was an ep. I mean you can do this with any Mad Men episode we we always say it's the show is eminently chewable. <laughs> but this episode, I feel like I could watch this once a week and, you know, like a Beatles mm. album, be like, I'm just going to watch it for the references to life, sure. death, birthright. Sure, absolutely. You know? So, yeah, let's just start with those two. With Let's start with Connie Hilton because I hate that guy. <laughs> I love this character so much. I love this character Perfect. so much. I don't I don't like the person that. That I don't like Connie Hilton as portrayed in the in the show, but I think as right. a character, this is so good. It brings out so much in Don. It's it's strange seeing 
Don not be the person who has it the most together in a room, you know, and right. that's a that's a dynamic that he brings. And he's just such a just such a incredible dick um, that I, I love him whenever he's around. When they meet, it's his Dick Whitman that gets appealed to. And then so that's where the power dynamic mm. shifts immediately. And Dick Whitman felt like he had a peer. Don Draper suddenly, who Don Draper doesn't often get smallified. Yep. <laughs> that's not no, a word. No, not at all. But, but that's what Connie goes and does. That's what he does. That's clearly what he does. And he never stops doing that. This episode two. So, I mean, this is a hard season. Not that, not that any of them are easy seasons, but I, I struggled with this season more, I think, me now than I did me then hmm. when I watched, you know, back then. Cause I think I am more, more into my feelings sure. than ever. I don't, you know, and so there's been a lot of episodes where I'm like, I'm not saying it's not a great episode, but I didn't enjoy being with this, this conversation or this scene. And then this episode had so much payoff for, yeah. for that. Like there was just so, you know, you get a lot of Don saying all the things, you know, doing a lot of you are good. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Totally. Like really going from character to character, like it takes a while. But not unlike Don in, you know, it's so interesting, this thing that happens at the beginning of the episode, like you say, Connie, Connie's dynamic is playing Dick Whitman and, and Dick, Dick Don is upset that he's been had in the way that he's having everybody else. Right. Which is so interesting. Like mm. he's like, you know, he can identify that the way that Connie has him is by calling him son because because Dick has been by the nature of his being being Don, who is an invented persona, has been doing this to literally everyone he knows. And then the rest of the episode, we have to watch him fake eat shit in order to serve <laughs> himself. Like Peggy is the only one who in this episode says point blank, the reason you want to do this is because you can't work for anybody else, which I thought was so good. Right. Uh, I was like, man, Peggy, you're so good. Obviously we know Peggy's great, but like she says that so directly and he goes around and he does this tour in which he has to eat shit to everyone because that, I, at least it's my take. I don't know if this is the take, but like it, it enables him to keep being Don. Like he can't be Don anywhere else. He can't, you know, <laughs> This is, he's invented this whole place where he's allowed to be done. He can't lose this. <laughs> That's a really interesting. No, so I was going to say there are no wrong takes. That's not true. <laughs> but that is not, there are a lot of right takes. Mm. And that's a really interesting one. I see something different. Ooh, let's see. So, well, so it was when we get to the conversation with Pete and Pete, for whom it is always about Don. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. the disrespect of saying, I don't care, Roger Sterling, my boss, what you have to say about sure. me. I yeah. want to hear it from so him, good. right? <laughs> he just doesn't care. But it's all about Don for him, always has been since the pilot. But when Don is saying to him all the things that are, all his qualities, which are valid, mm -hmm. they're not just valid, they're dead on, they're unacknowledged through the show. It's something Dan and I talk about, like... Look at Pete being ahead of the curve. Look at Pete, you know, mm -hmm. always, always seeing the seeing the future. And for Don to sit there and acknowledge all of that, I mean, maybe he started even that sentence eating shit, mm -hmm. pretending. But it's like, you know, when you write something out and then suddenly it's formed yeah. and it's real. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
So I was wondering in that scene, and I just did the same thing because I started by saying I was wondering whether he was full of shit or not. And just now, the way I literally just described what Don did, I've just decided Mm -hmm. that he actually transforms through that moment. Through that moment from maybe I was eating shit when I started the sentence, but you know what? Yeah, it's like that part in the Royal Tenenbaums when Royal Royal has to address the family when he's in the hospital and he he basically says all this nice stuff about them. And then you get the Alec Baldwin voiceover that says it was in that moment that Royal realized that everything he was saying was true. That's exactly what I'm trying to... Yes, that's it. That's exactly So it. you think that Don, Don went in and he had to do a dance and while doing the dance, he's like, I like dancing. Or no, 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 that's not right. I, well, I, I'm doing this not for him. I'm doing this because it's real, I guess. Or look, I don't have to be full of shit in this moment. Mm. Or, 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 I'm, or well, check it out. It's true. Yeah. Just check yeah. it out. <laughs> Yeah. From that moment forward, everybody he talks to, then they go, I think they go to the bar next. Yeah. I think Don and Roger go to the bar next. And I, I watched that scene. We haven't seen Don and Roger in a bar mm-hmm. in a while, right? Yeah. And this whole, the, uh, the like, the bridge, the gap, the whatever, the rift between Don and Roger has always fallen a little forced for mm-hmm. me. You know, Ma- Matthew Weiner wrote this season for this ending. So he had the ending. He needed to get everybody mm-hmm. there. So I never, and I never thought of that before until I just said it, that, 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 that whole, that whole feud. And it was, it was well-earned. Like Roger dicked him over, sure. but, it, but it, it always, it, the, the, the fact that they couldn't be in the same room barely and the, how, how the, the, it was, it, it always felt very, a little much for me, but we needed this reunion, but I'm watching this scene in the bar. So you've got, you've got, you've got Roger fucking up and right mm-hmm. and telling and telling telling him about Henry and every one of his reactions like every line of oh I was gonna tell you no I wasn't <laughs> totally <laughs> right? it's so it's vintage he's so good in that scene yeah I was gonna tell you no I wasn't I thought you knew I'm sorry I told you believe me Don at some point is checked out because he's with what just got told to him. He doesn't care. Roger's going like, I got to save this friendship that just got started again. Don doesn't care in that moment. Don is elsewhere, right? But it really ends up being, um, Don and Roger really end up with a friendship that they've never had. Mm -hmm. You go back to the uh, the first couple episodes, that first dinner in in the second episode when they they all go to dinner with the wives. They don't know each other. And and Don is is, um, tight-lipped. And and Roger's always kind of poking the bear and poking the bear. And here in this scene, he's he's like, oh, shit, I poked the bear. I'm sorry I poked you. Like, didn't mean to didn't mean to do that. And then at the end, um, when they're looking at the office and Roger says, do you think we're going to ever be somewhere somewhere like this again? And and Don says, I I never thought I would in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like, that was just so honest. Mm -hmm. So I think that friendship is new and good. But I also think going back to your kind of theory of the case Hmm. i kind of think here's what i think i think don has spent all these years afraid of what would happen if anybody found out about dick whitman Mm. and who cares says bert Mm. (laughs) and now his wife knows and it blew up his marriage or it gave her the excuse to blow up the marriage either way the there's no marriage to save bert knows like there's no everybody know everybody who everybody could hurt him with it at this point 
already knows. Yeah, I mean, there are two, and there are two things that are enabled by that that are happening maybe in a parallel way. And one of the things is exactly as you say. It's like once you realize you're not going to get as hurt by the thing that you fear the most, you're empowered, and and there's an opportunity to transform a little bit or be. Com, you know, commit more fully to who and what you are um, without that fear. And then the other thing I think that, spe- and it's so interesting to think about, um, you know, this, this episode's so flawless, it makes sense that this was the, this, this was the end point that was always the end point. And then, and then storylines were reverse engineered to fit into this place. But the thing that stands out for me about what is special about Don and Roger's friendship moving forward is they're now co-conspirators in something. It's, it's what they, they before their position and Roger says in, in this episode, he finally realizes that he, he's been walking around talking of like he built the company and the company was given to him. And this is the first time he's on the level with the partners, you know, and that's incredible. And now they have that. And now that's an equalizer in their friendship as well. That's right. That was the other the other Has moment. Has he written his book yet in the show? The the no. that's that's <laughs> Sterling that's, Sterling's that's gold. vintage. And and I and you would think that someone who came up with that realization that we just talked about would not write a, a, such a, a crackpot book. But anyway, that's uh, that's something that'll happen later. <laughs> well, I think I think in life, I was just talking about this with a friend last night. You know, you have these moments where you just get like you have your ahas, sure. you have your you have your spiritual awakenings and then you forget them mm-hmm. and you know you got to maintain them right? right and if you don't you write sterling's gold right right, right, right. exactly <laughs> exactly you know? exactly i feel like and i mean again this goes exactly to what i literally just said i feel like in this moment in these last scenes dick and don are whole are one mm. and it comes back to i want to work which is what he says i just i want to work and and that's surprising. And I think he never had the luxury to want to work. Right. Everything was just he was so in he he was so in survival mode always about everything. And I think he's got at least a moment's breath around himself on this arguably worst day of his life. Yeah. Or best worst day of his life. He wants to work and he wants to build something. To your point earlier about his tendency in that moment we're talking to Pete I think that is kind of his natural tendency is he he finds himself occupying a space out of utility and then finds that there is some nourishment in that space which is to say you know to this point to your point he has been doing this work to maintain dick and and now he's like oh I like the work like he's we know he's good at the work like we we've seen all the the classic sort of showboaty sales scenes where we see that he's good at the work but like we know that like this is actually who he is in a in a um in a way where you know again like it's as you say as perfectly said dick and don are are one in this episode i think i think don is making this thing happen out of utility because he needs to keep himself alive he can't work for someone else it's not possible but at the same time to your to your to your wonderful points like he is um, realizing that he needs to do this. Like this is who and what he is. Like he's not, he's not chasing Betty down. <laughs> That's right. Well, he, I mean, he did in, in fairness, he gave it, he, you know, last season he came back with, with, you know, he came back with, he wrote a letter and he came, you know, he yeah. did chase her down. This is your pitch. Yeah, well, move along. I'm not going to throw it all away because he doesn't want to work at McCann. Can I ask you a question? 
Yeah. Please. What are your what are your favorite performances from this episode? Because this episode is just fire, like through and through. Jared Harris? Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> and and Lizzie Moss and yeah. Elizabeth Moss. Jared Harris in the scene where it gets cooked up, mm-hmm. he, you you can see his brain doing the math, but do, and also doing the like psychological math, like it's it's amazing. It's it's absolutely amazing. And I I don't I don't know that I ever gave it like I was I was riveted. I don't know that I ever gave it that attention before. I was watching him just mesmerized because yeah. they you know don't, I mean they think of it right there, but he's I mean <laughs> they say we'll make you a partner, and he's like I think we can do better than that. I was like, how did sure. you even? And then, this and a- then Don. I, well, now this is a negotiation. I, That's I right. love that the interplay between everyone in that scene is so great. But Jared Harris is you're you're right. I mean, it's just watching his face in any scene is magical. Um, his his whole body, but the ensemble in that scene, um, the interplay. There's the 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 rise and fall of tension. It is it's gorgeous. Yeah. I first saw Jared Harris in. I didn't know about Jared Harris when I was a kid. I wasn't. I wasn't a super cultured kid um, until I was in my teens, and then I saw um, Igby goes down in the theater, and he plays a um, like a kind of like a drug addict artist in that movie. And I was immediately in love with Jared Harris. I was like, this. I I know this guy. I don't. I wish I knew this guy, you know, and I, I've been in love with him since. That makes me want to re, I saw that in the theater too, but I, it, it, it didn't, it, I liked it. And that was sure. it. Like, I don't remember anything. So I, now that sounds like a fun rewatch. Yeah, he's in there just being great. <laughs> he's, he's really, he's, he's, he's mesmerized in, in some way. And, you know, low key, it was his episode, hmm. this, you know, and, um, and, and Elizabeth Moss in that, I mean, in both scenes, but especially in that first scene where he doesn't ask her to to join them and she there's that breath she's breath that she takes she's just i mean she's just one of the greatest and anybody who's worked with her says it like there's just there's no limit to her and then she's everybody everybody says about her like off stage and every show she her movie is you know she's good she doesn't stay in character she doesn't take it seriously she's completely professional she gives you that and then she's giggling over there Mm. Who was your favorite performance of this episode? I was really taken by um, the kids the in the divorce scene. Um, is this because I lost your cufflinks? Ugh, just murdered me. Um, I thought the kids were great. Bobby gets a lot of shit for not doing anything, but he was great in this episode, I think. I don't know if it's different actors. I can't remember. It's been a while. But It's like there's like 75 Bobbies. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> and he, this one was good. I met I met the two of them oh, yeah. on the set a few episodes prior to huh. this, and I had met him. But then he he got um was it Once Upon a Time? Oh, I don't know. So then they had to replace him again. They finally got a good Bobby, and he was so good they they lost. Yeah, him. I thought I thought <laughs> the kids were really great in this episode in in ways that I don't always I, I don't I mean I, Sally's always great. I love Sally, but I thought both the kids together were were great. And um uh I thought man I Pete and Trudy. So, so fucking good, man. Like her, she's so great all the time. And that scene and then a beautiful tiny moment is when Trudy delivers the sandwiches and it's Pete, um, uh, Pete, Trudy and Peggy. 
and um and Trudy's just obvious like somewhat oblivious and lovely and has brought in the sandwiches and then and then you know Peggy obviously has this horrendous history with Pete this complicated layered history with Pete and you see that history yep. what a treat yep. what I mean what an amazing treat that was but every 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 interaction um I think that that's what so that's what what got me with the episode is not just the performance is all the performance was were brilliant. Everyone was brilliant. Everyone who could be brilliant was brilliant. But the interplay with everybody in this particular episode, maintaining the energy of the episode and sneaking in those sneaking in those things. I can't even remember the guy, the name. I'm terrible at names. I can't remember the name of the guy who ends up overseeing media. That guy. That's Harry. That's Rich Summer as Harry, Harry Crane. I mean, his just his <laughs> when he's trying to figure out what the hell is going on, uh, his, his the face <laughs> acting that's going on in that face is glorious. So great. This, you know, so part of this episode is that or for me, the experience of this episode is what comes clear is how deadened they've all been mm. all season mm. ever since PPL took over. Yeah. And you see it, you've seen it with Don and Rob, you've seen it with the four men in their own ways. Don really struggling for some control. Lane Price always being beaten down by these guys. Roger, Roger being usurped by Don Mm -hmm. with the whole, uh, you know, Don playing account with Hilton wackiness. And then obviously Bert, who just sort of rolls with it. But, but what you're saying that the ensemble of it, that it's, I hadn't seen it collectively. Because they hadn't, because they were all stewing by themselves. Because I don't know, guys don't get together and talk about their feelings much now, but certainly not sure, then, yeah. right? Like, so I just hadn't under, understood the dynamic of what was missing until all of a sudden there was all this exuberance and movement, and 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 everybody's up to something. Everybody's excited about something, and they're all unified by the same thing. Like, like most episodes of every show that has an ensemble is what a, a plot, B plot, maybe a sniff of a C plot, but, and, and not everybody is unified by the same tension or drama. And so to have an episode where you see everyone uh, orbit the same drama is a real, is a real treat. Right, right, right. And that scene at, at Pete and Trudy's, I mean, what this episode had is, a, a great deal of comedy. And Mad Men has always mm-hmm. been infused with comedy. I mean, Matt Reiner, Matt Weiner wrote, you know, on on the sitcom. So so that's always part of it. But this had a lot of great moments. You know, Trudy in the bedroom. Pete, you know, Peter, can I speak to oh you? Oh my please? God, that was so good. <laughs> like just, she's just like, <clears throat> you know, Pete pretending to be sick. <laughs> and then I'm not sick. So good. So, you know, so many exciting, fun moments. Don't lock the door. Um, I'll tell you our little, my little story of watching this episode, Dan and I were both there. So, uh, I don't know if you know, and, and just any listeners who don't know how this all started for me is my sister and I, uh, started a Mad Men blog, uh, that launched the day after the season one finale. Holy shit. Yeah. We we got right in there (laughs) and we became, and there was no Twitter. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we were it. We were just, and we, and we weren't doing recaps because that was, recap culture was, was new, was up and coming. We weren't doing recaps. We were just doing, here's a thought, here's a thought, here's somebody's birthday, here's a news. I mean, this was when only review, you know, only critics were, were talking about this show, but nobody was watching it yet, Mm. but we watched it from the beginning and we started blogging about it and that's how we were on the set. That's how, you know, so we had this whole thing and, and, and 
you know, what blogs were then, right? Was we were the water cooler. Right. So we also had all the fan, we would interact with all the, all the, everybody. And we would, you know, kick all this stuff around. So fast forward. Now it's a season three and we're throwing a finale party in Manhattan, a viewing party. And uh, it's about 150 of us there. And Michael Gladys surprises us. Mm. He plays Paul. So that was wonderful. And we get to watch it with him. So a couple, just a couple of moments. One was um, when Roger says, let me make a call. The whole room hmm. got on their feet and cheered. Yeah, because they know. They know <laughs> where we're going. Yeah. We all, I mean, it was just, yeah. it was just this joyful moment. And then, you know, the end of the, the end when Allison thinks they've been robbed and they start to figure <laughs> out what's happening. And Paul, you know, Paul figured out a few episodes ago when, uh, when his great idea, when he never wrote down his great idea, and then Peggy is sitting next to him and he, and she riffs off of something he said and then Peggy and Don and he's watching Peggy and he's there's this moment where you can see in his eyes that he actually gets she's not being favored she's not this is this is she's got a gift like shit sure, yeah. she has a gift and it, and the look on his face was shit she's got a gift so that's kind of the setup for Paul immediately being like let me check Peggy's office right mm-hmm. but then I I looked at Michael. I was like, do you have a job next season? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> so that was, that was something. My favorite, my favorite is not giving any, trying not to give anything away is like when we see him again. Yes. I love, that's the funniest. <laughs> that to me is the like top 10 funniest jokes in the whole show. I love, it's such a funny payoff, such a funny payoff. And it's such an aside. <laughs> It's so good. Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> um, so Don Don's trajectory in this episode. So can we talk about that flashback? Which the well, the, um, the, there's a few, but the 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 Archie sequence. Yes. Boy, it's rough. Yeah. I mean, Archie's rough. Yeah, Archie's real rough. Archie's rough, and that cat. I've always that casting that face, which just looks oh, like god. leather, old. Drunk yeah. leather John Hamm. Yeah. Like so perfect. I mean, again, I think he's I think his Dick Whitman and his Don are struggling. And you've got this Connie moment where where Connie where where Connie said where Connie is like, I'm out of here, and Don's and Don gets angry with him for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I am tired of being swatted around like a cat, is not exactly what he says, but something like that. And but you haven't seen him get angry, show his anger yet with Connie. And then he has the flashback. And he's thinking about his dad and the business. And I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you see there? Well, there's so, so, so again, like going back to the origins of, of my show, which was about, about viewing, you know, the, the whole intention of why our dads, when, when you were good was why our dads was to understand how we have ended up where we've ended up as adults by understanding our relationship with our parents going back. And we never, we thought that that would be a hard hook. And so we were like, let's talk about movies and we'll, uh, we'll navigate the dad relationships to understand how we landed where, where we were. And this is probably, again, you know, all of Mad Men in one way or another is the most fertile episode of all time, but this is the most fertile episode of all time because you have the, there's, there's the Connie dynamic. So you have, um, you have Don essentially saying you made me, you created this illusion in mm. which 
um, I was kind of, it was like a father son thing for you to get your way. And Connie says, you got yourself in it, which is, which is kind of incredible. And then it, so it's about who is responsible for manipulation, right? Mm -hmm. When you, especially when you reach a, a particular age, which triggers Don to remember the thing with Archie um um and it's about it's about sort of the 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 prices of grain are super low um they're getting the collective is getting screwed on the sale he's going to hold out his stubbornness gets him in all sorts of trouble right which is not, which yeah. is which is a huge part of dick's origin story as dick and then it leads to this exchange that i tweeted earlier today it, because because it this whole episode's about risk and it's about mm. it's about what you need to risk in order to do what you love, at least within you know American nineteen sixties capitalism, and then American nineteen you know thirties or forties capitalism. And there's the exchange between when when Don realizes what uh, needs to be done in order to save the company so that they have autonomy, he pitches it to Bert, and um, you know Bert says to him, "I it basically I I have a lot to lose for something like this to happen." And Bert says specifically, "Young men love risk because they can't imagine the consequences." To which Don responds and you old men love building golden tombs and sealing the rest of us in with you which is so rooted so so you know Bert is a dad to all these wayward men at this place and Connie has been a, a placeholder dad for 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 Don's you know delusions of growth and, and to some extent some real yeah. real aspirations towards growth and it's largely about the generational tension between young and enthusiastic people who are willing to risk stuff which we're seeing happen at the 60s at this point I love you know I I I don't know what we're in 1963, right? I think the year yes. last season we saw a throwaway joke about the students for the Democratic Society um, um, yes. at some point, which was really funny. Uh, and in the tension between the young and the old, and specifically between sons and fathers. Yes, and Ke- and Kennedy just died. Yeah, I mean, that God, was the last totally, episode. Yeah. So, and talk about your young and old sort of representation you know, who, who Kennedy was, was young. Um, but the president just died and that's dad, right? no matter how young he is. And, and I just was thinking, you know, what Don does first really is he goes to mom and dad, except it's dad and dad. He goes to, he goes, first he goes to Bert, but then it's Roger and Bert. Then it's Lane and Roger and Bert, which is, can't you guys fix this? Can't we save this? You know? And, and, and then it changes, he shifts and he, and he's like, we can do this. We can do, you know, it, but it really does start. I need you guys need to help me. Right. right. And he has to he has to be a parent for the first time and eat shit. Like I don't like <laughs> yeah. he has to say um, he has to cede to the power of the people and and make room for acknowledgement of them. And there's a great this doesn't have to do it Don, but he has to, he that's essentially he's doing a tour of that in one way or another in this episode, which is really great. It's the first time. He has to be like, you know, he's like, oh, I have to be, this can't be a con. I have, and it is a con though, which is really great, but I have to be responsible for getting this thing off the ground. People aren't going to do it for me. I have to participate in that. And that's, that's a really cool and interesting thing. And then there's that, there's that speaking of Elizabeth Moss being great scenes. There's the part where Roger says, you know, Peggy, can you get me a coffee? (laughs) She just says, no, no. Because everyone, this is about that split in power, not just parent 
child, not just father, son, but the country, this is what the country is going through at this point. Like Mm -hmm. kids are now in charge there or they're, they're, they're forcing their way into having autonomy in, in this, in this realm, in, in family relationships, in the larger culture, um, et cetera. And, and Peggy has always been the symbol of that in one way or another throughout the, throughout the whole show, particularly, particularly with regard to, to, um, to women, white women in, uh, uh, feminist circles, but it, it's it, the illustration in this episode, how much power gets flipped in this episode or mm. negotiated is gorgeous. Right. Right. Um, so the, the pivotal moment, I think the entire episode is pivotal moments, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but to back up to when Don goes home and gets violent with Betty. Mm, yes. He's, he's, I'm not giving him a pass, mm-hmm. but he's very drunk. He's very shocked and embarrassed and, and, and I think that, and, and furious, mm-hmm. right? And I think some of what he says is, is, you know, as terrible as he is, some of what he says is fascinating. You know, you're, you're so good. And, you know, her, her, he's, he's trying to be, he's been trying to be this other human that he thinks is the right one for, for her. Mm-hmm. And she, and she, in his eyes now, is the one who, you know, it was all a lie from her. But I think the one to forgive me, punch, of that scene, and then when they sit with the kids, um, guts him. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like, it, it, like, both of them. I mean, both of, both of them, both Betty and Don were clearly moved by the scene. I mean, what Don didn't say once in that scene with the kids, and there was no book. There was no how to sit down and tell your kids about your divorce right. in 1963, right? There was no guidance for this. They did a pretty good job considering that. Mm. You know, I mean, people did way worse than what those two people did. Like not tell them. Oh yeah, I was in the I was in the we're not telling you camp and this was in the the 90s. Because my I mean my dad and Don I think are the same were the same age. Mm. Um so it was like a it was like a time traveling man was my father, you know. <laughs> but but it was the same thing. And right down to the right some of the details of that moment, the the little details that they got, like um Bobby thinking they're in trouble because they're having a conversation in the living room. I was like, oh wow, that is some um, that is good. subliminal, you know, it's tying into real subliminal generational trauma. <laughs> yeah. And and um and the thing that the thing that um uh, Sally says, you, you know, you say, you essentially, she essentially says that you say things that are not true. I forget exactly how she says it, but she says it in such a specific way. I'm not going. I'm just living elsewhere. That's going. You say things and you don't mean them. And you can't just do that. Sally, sweetheart. Go away. Sally, stop it. You said you'd always come home. The way that she speaks to the to his faults or his his drawbacks in one way or another is really incredible. She nails him. First she first she says, You you promised you would always come home, right? right? Which he did. He kept making you watched him through this whole series making promises to right. the kids and you're kinda like, Don't do yeah. that, don't do that. <laughs> that's there's no way that's gonna work out. Yeah, the 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 and I would I mean, I I'm not <laughs> I'm not similarly to where you're at. Like, I'm not justifying, you know, I'm not justifying Don's violence. He grabs Betty at some point and it's not, it's is absolutely not great. And it's, it's ugly. However, uh, for a man in 1963 to have their ego hurt 
And that's the extent of the physical damage he did. It's actually surprising. I'm not, again, it's not, he's not, I'm not, I'm not excusing it. It's not the way to do it. But his, his understanding and mastery of, to, to an extent that's terrifying, to an extent that like Don is like part serial killer, it feels like sometimes, but the extent to which he's like, oh no, my ego has gotten out of control. This isn't about this this is about another thing um was interesting to watch yeah we talked about that a while ago i guess it was back i guess it was red in the face when when roger hits on betty in the first season and and don gets a little Mm. pushy with her also and there's just conversations between um betty and francine her neighbor friend where you do feel like like the kind of the kind of husband that don is would also be that kind of husband, right. and in and in some, you know, and the I mean, in the fact, and then there was also back then when when she kept wanting him to discipline Bobby, meaning physically, mm-hmm. and that's when he first reveals, like, you know, that's that's when the cracks started coming through when he starts talking a little bit about who his father was, even as Don Draper, and he was like, my father used to beat the shit out of me, and we're not going there, right? right? So bring that forward and. He feels in the moment where he's going for her, coming for her, you know, he you could see he feels vindicated, but he's also, you know, like he feels like there's nothing to regret here. Mm-hmm. I am right to be having this expression, <laughs> you know, but he's also very drunk. And again, between that and that next scene with the kids, he he certainly has remorse. And you know that because of his phone call to Betty at the end. Oh, I wanted to say one more thing about the scene with the kids, which is what he what he doesn't ever do is say this is mommy's fault. Right. The kids say all the things, all the things, you know, is it because of me? Is it mommy? This is your fault. Like it's your fault. Like everybody, the kids say all the things that they would be thinking. And, but he doesn't, he doesn't throw her under the bus and he could have mm-hmm. totally could have. Sure. So that was he never impressive. Does. He never does. He never does. Like he, like, I think that's an interesting thing about this character is like for all of his faults, he has some awareness of his being a dis- his responsibility to being a disaster. I don't think he he does a great job of owning it a lot of the time, but I think a lot of the time he doesn't necessarily do like um unnecessarily additional damage along the way. He just damages what is in his path, but he doesn't create a conspiracy to keep damaging. Right. <laughs> like, right. Well, that's right. <laughs> I don't have to make it worse. I mean, I could, but I, I could make it not worse. I could just stop right here. It's one of the things that makes him, I think, the most terrifying. I think it's one of the things that makes Don Draper, you know, it's like I always get, there's a there's such a rich history going back to Scarface and before in which people elevate the, the you know, the bad guy in one way or another as their hero. And I think that, you know, I think that Don, for, there's so many great things about him as a character, but like he, to me, Peggy's the hero of the show. And, and Don is not the hero of the show. Don is the person the show is about. Mm. And, and, um, and so it can become easy because he is the protagonist. Like it can become easy to think that like, he's better than he is. But I think a lot of the things that are most terrifying about him are his clear, his, his clear eyed nature. (laughs) You Mm. know, (laughs) and, and, and some of the things that he does uh, along the way, he, he has an awareness of what he's doing in ways where at least now, if you had that awareness, you would hope that you would be 
doing some intervening upon yourself in a real and substantial way. Though I think one of the things that we're confronted with in the show is, was the culture ready to be there supporting someone who was doing that? And we know that it wasn't, both culture at large and the professional culture. That's right. I mean, look what they did to to Freddie. Oh, God. You know? Yeah. The worst. Your your six-month leave, which was never going to be a six-month leave. Oh, Freddie. It's brutal. (laughs) Oh, my God. That scene for Freddie. And Sal. Well, I was just going to bring up Sal because Sal is present. So thank you for for that. So there's this energy of the show, which is like we're getting the band back together of this episode. And then they go to the art, you know, and it's like, where are we going to find everything? Call Joan. Joan's going to fix it. Now we're, how do we get into the art room? And you have this thought, but nope. Yeah. The same guy who came for his wife is the same guy that fired Sal unrepentantly. You people, mm. you know, it was a confusing, we've discussed this as the episodes happened, that it was a confusing sequence because at the beginning of the season, when he sees Sal and then, and then. At the end, when they're coming back from Baltimore after Don had seen Sal in the hotel room and he shows him arguably the worst ad anybody has ever made, which was the flasher on the subway and the raincoat. And it and the tagline was, and I just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> Conceal yourself. What the fuck is the tagline? Um, well, that doesn't work. There's a girl with her back to us. She's wearing one of those. Short, tan ones, but it's open. Her legs are bare. We know what he's seeing. Limit your exposure. That's it. Good. But it leads us to think that Don was going to be cooler than he was. So that is Don. Yeah. And it's in- it's really interesting to hear you talk about Don as terrifying because he is, but I've never characterized him as such. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we even see it's it's so soft. Like the 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 best part about the show is the show's never like it never does a red underline, but like we. It, it, everything is handled. The nuance and everything is incredible. There are so many beautiful nuanced uh, moments in this episode alone. The and this is not my example. I'll get to my example in a second. But just when he says to Joan that he needs a furnished apartment, and she just says, "I'm sorry," like whole like yep. of any other show would have devoted you know eight more lines of dialogue to that, and it would have cheapened it. And just about that moment before you go to your actual sure. point. <laughs> Your actual example. That says so much about who Joan is and how and who Don is and how Don knows who Joan is because it was Jane's lack of discretion that had him. I mean, he never trusted Jane on his desk. And Jane was like doing little, little, little digging around, like, how's your marriage? And and he was not having it. So it wasn't just that she could say that she did say it, but that he could hear it. And it was so beautiful. I mean, that was. That was all of these moments were just like, oh, thank you. Like you just you felt so much love all the time. Yes, totally. And I I, I loved that. But the 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 piece that the piece that I was ultimately getting to, and it was again handled as well as that moment, 
is when he says, we'll get you a doctor, a good doctor this time to Betty, mm. which he's just an agency. He's just an agent of patriarchy at this point. You know, we will trap you in this marriage. We will get the right professional to suggest to you that you are crazy for wanting to do this. And she calls it out beautifully. Yes, because I'd have to be right. crazy. She calls it out beautifully. And and these are things, you know, I, I think that he is, you know, he, he in a lot of ways, I mean, he reminds me of T-1000. Like he he is single, single minded to a very specific to a very specific mission, which is which is survival and then the job and six and 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 accomplishments within the job for a long time there are so many glorious things about him so many amazing layers so much uh, so much ama- amazing character interplay so, so much meat but i would not want to be in this person's path i'd be destroyed even in the line about the doctor mm. i just heard two like there's all these layers because it's also a confession that he knows or in admitting he was wrong, that he knew that this was a bad doctor. Sure, sure. And, yep. but, but underneath that, a not confession because of what he was doing with the doctor, which was having the phone calls with him, which who knows if he knows that she knows. Right. That's, a, that's a, we don't know. But even that one line, 10, ten stories behind yeah. it. I know it's it's interesting like I know of um that still happens with like kids who have to go to therapy in one way or another for their for um you know either through school or something like that is the there's a I could be wrong but this is something I've experienced with people around me is the the therapist is in direct communication with the parent yeah, and I, can, and I can understand some of the reasons. I'm not. I'm not a mental health professional, but like I know, like the second that it's clear to the child what is happening, the cover's blown, the situation's blown, and I can't imagine Betty in that situation. You know, right, if she right, had right. any any whiff of what was going on, and that was a that was a popular dynamic with married with married couples. I don't know when that ended. I don't know if it was or not. I don't. I. I don't know. This is one of these I don't knows about 1960. It was 1960. Mm-hmm. I know that what what Matt Weiner said to me was well, he was a terrible doctor. Yeah, you know, and that's one of those things where, and, and same with that first the gynecologist you meet in the first in the pilot, right? Also a bad doctor. So D- Dan always talks about Matt Weiner must just hate doctors because <laughs> there's so many terrible ones in this in this show. But 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 the but the other piece of it is you think you're watching some representation of a 1960 doctor. And in fact, what you're seeing is a bad doctor, maybe, you know, that's who knows, but that's, you know, I mean, which is what you find out about all those characters when you first meet them and you kind of think they're all these, they're all these sort of, um, yeah, stereotypes. And then you sort of find out that Betty's a little weird (laughs) and has a flirtation with an eight year old and, you know, all these things that you start to learn about these characters, (laughs) even in the first season. And you're like, oh, you're not just icons of a type. You're all, you know, singular. Right. And you watch. Though the thing that resonates immediately is you watch a child become the weirdest parts of both of her parents, which I love. I mean, that's that's one of the dynamics. I like. You see Sally become both of her parents. Um, yeah, she does. You know, in in who she pursues, and forms a relationship with, or really, you know, whatever that is, and then and then in her, she she has a bit of that. You know the you know the hundred hundred yard stare. Uh, and and don't get in her way of what she's going after in the same way that Don has it. Um, the nuance with which they play that over the lifetime of the show is is fabulous. The, Sally's growth is fantastic. You know they were they had this gem on their hands, yeah. and you don't know that when you bring in a five year old or whatever she was at the Unreal. beginning. 
Uh, she's just incredible. And so they just kept writing more and more to her because mm. why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And also, she never had an awkward face. Seen, well, at least, she at least not on camera. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. She hasn't yet. Yeah. <laughs> she's past that now. So, yeah, she's Kiernan Shipka is amazing. So, Peggy, I just want to go back to that. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to, I just want to stay there. It's like, that's the, that's the you are good moment, right? <laughs> like, yeah. that's the, you know, so I do feel that the, again, the pivotal, the one-two punch, the whatever that had him able to go to that apartment was, um, was that, was that, you know, was he, he saw him do it again. He, he hurt Betty. He didn't mean to hurt Betty. He's looking at the family. He recognizes for himself and we haven't seen him call Betty yet, but he, that's, that's how you know something is different is when he goes to Peggy and it's not bullshit this time. With Pete, you're still, I was wondering, (laughs) right? But with Peggy, you're not. Now I'm going to find the quotes. I'm not doing this without the quotes. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's too fucking good. (laughs) Um, oh, I just forgot it was Friday the 13th when it happens. Uh, where is she? When four men shot themselves uh, in the foot. <laughs> special Friday, Friday, December 13th, 1963. Four, four guys shot their own legs off. Um, yeah. So this is the thing about I want to work. This is the thing where I'm like, it's not, it's, it feels different in this moment to me than just survival. Mm-hmm. It's the scene with Don and Peggy. He says, because there are people out there who buy things people like you and me, and something happened, something terrible. And the way that they saw themselves is gone. And nobody understands that, but you do. And that's very valuable. Mm. I'm going to stop there. I mean, there's the Peggy part, but so one of the things I'm, I mean, it's stunning. It's beautiful. It's perfect season closer kind of speech, but I'm like, we know for Peggy what it is. Now we also know that Peggy had the talent and the gift and the, the depth all in season one before the exact moment, right? Before she gave her baby away, mm. right? And clearly that's what he's speaking to. So, it, you know, <laughs> something like that doesn't give you that. That's why nature, that's why nobody talks about nature versus nurture anymore. It's always both. Right. It's always both, right? So Peggy's nature and then what the fuck happened to her kept making her who she was already able to be. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what Don has in mind. Is it his childhood? Is it his father being kicked by a horse in front of him. Is it, I always go back to Adam mm. being, as that happened in the first season? And that's when we, we meet him. Like that's, you know, up until that point, Don could convince himself that being Don wasn't hurting anybody, but you know, like, like Spider-Man not saving Gwen Stacy because she can't find out that he's in London. Mm. That's a way, way, way back machine. <laughs> um, you know, Don, let his brother die to protect his life, right? So I always feel like that. But I mean, I wonder if he if he's talking about something specific for himself, or if he's just that's just who he sees himself as. What do you got? Anything? What do you think? Um, just quickly, I want to say just like simply because I'm recording right now. Obviously, someone's mowing their lawn right next to me. So if anyone's hearing some stuff, that's what's happening. But um, I turned on the microphone and immediately someone was like, "I should mow the lawn." Um, the <laughs> The, I don't I don't know what the what the background is. I think the interesting that when you look at the fact that there's the dad 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 um, storyline that's happening here, you also have the Don is given an opportunity to save a marriage and he can only save one, and he saves the he saves the one that actually has legitimate fruit in it. <laughs> All the feels that just gave me all the feels. You know, he does he does what he should have done if he if he thought for real there was a future with Betty 
that is not I change me, I change me, I change me. It is I see you, I see you, I see you. He does that with um, Peggy. And I don't know why. I mean, all those are great suggestions, like the the background with Adam. The, does he just want to save his ass and he knows that this is the person who can do it at work? Is it that he sees he you know, he realizes he just needed someone to see him. And there's this weird human sliver of him that is able to offer that when, when being the cold calculating monster, I think he is a lot of the time. Like I, I, you know, I think you can be a lot of things at one time. I don't think that you are necessarily always a singular thing. There's a lot of stuff uh, happening, happening at once. And I think what the sweet thing about their relationship is, 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 you know, for, she is right about him. And, to the point where it forces him to say what she believes about how he sees her, which is you see me as an extension of yourself and you can't see me as a result. And how, how many, how many spouses would love to have heard that? Yeah, that was, um, that was very surprising Mm -hmm. to hear. Or parent or how many kids of, of grown parents would like to hear that? You know, it was very surprising. It was great. It was a really great moment. This episode did so much in, in two parts. It split up. It, this episode set up and resolved in ways that usually happen over seasons. Or at least two episodes. Usually every other, you're right. Each, each. I mean, this is only the third season, but the first two seasons, it was the penultimate episode mm. where shit really flew around. And then it was like the fallout was the finale. Right. But this really was an Ocean's Eleven yes. in, in that in the one storyline. Yes. And then there's and then there's Don and Betty. Totally. And the, you well, know. even I mean, we see like we see. Oh God, man, that the the scene's so good. But we see the um the setup between Don and Peggy, and then in the first half of the episode, and then we see it resolve in the second half of the episode. And it, I mean, it's it's hard to believe it's a fifty minute episode, and that's just one of the several one of the many things that happens. And and the other thing that is said. It is a family relationship. It is it is a marriage. It is a parent and child. It's a lot of different things folded into one relationship. And so you can see the different origins of where it's coming from for for him and for her. And when she says, if I say no, you'll you'll never talk to me again. And he says that he will spend the rest of the rest of his time trying to get trying to hire her. It's incredible. What he said before that, just with you or without you, I'm moving on. And I don't know if I can do it alone. Mm. Will you help me? And I thought, you just reconnected with Roger. You just formed this this little foursome. Joan is back, but you still feel that without Peggy, you're doing it alone. Yeah. That I mean, that's maybe he's just used to thinking of her the way she sees him thinking of her, which is Peggy, you know, sure. and all the blaming and all the all of that. But it sure didn't. I mean, he re- he really took a look somewhere. He really I, I that that morning after. That morning after that fight with Betty, and I think he really looked inside yeah. and like, what do I value? And where? And maybe I should listen to somebody, to your point, to save that marriage. Maybe I should listen to somebody who literally told me, she just told me yesterday how I've been, how she sees me treating her. Maybe I should handle that. Right. And because she's right. So it's powerful. And you said it before, Peggy's clarity, specificity and how she addresses everything she, she thinks about the way he treats her and about the way people see it. And Betty's clarity. I was blown away. Betty has had moments throughout the series of just when she finally opens her mouth being so clear. Mm-hmm. And when he's, you know, rips her out of bed and starts 
tossing her around and the baby's about to cry and then the baby's crying and she and everything out of her mouth was was just do not threaten me get out of this house like you never saw her shaking which she would have been sure <laughs> you yeah. know a little a little quiver like that just some no, yeah, it was very, it was very much <laughs> Betty with the shotgun and the cigarette in her mouth, Betty. That's right. <laughs> really, a was. favorite, a favorite disposition of Betty's. <laughs> and and again, you you talked about Sally having that that gaze. Mm. It's from both of them. Yeah, you're right. It's from both of them. She really she gets the the best worst from both of them, and it's all the same stuff. I think. Although I'm I'm happy. <laughs> I mean, I understand that so much of the the plot of the show has to be taken in the context of the time. I I understand that. I was so much of the progress in the show is bittersweet because I was like, oh, I'm so happy that Betty's going to be able to get up, get out and do something that's not this. And as Don says, like, you know, I hope you find what you're looking for and what you need. That's lovely. I, all that stuff. But she has, you know, she's doing it with Henry, right? And Henry, and I know that like things, things more or less are are better with Henry than they are with uh with Don. The show does a great job of illustrating how compounded patriarchy operates at any given time, let alone in let alone in 1963. Um, but you know, he says, "I'll take care of you and your children," and it's it's effectively one trap to another. You know, it, yeah. Um, but that's that is our reality. It's just, it, yeah, I had the same thought of like, you know that Henry would be able to get a better lawyer than you. <laughs> like if that, like, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. I And and Henry probably does, you know, again, pretending we don't know how this goes is like, probably is going to treat her better. But as I have been saying this whole season, somehow it hit me more in this watching than ever before. He hits on a married pregnant yeah. woman from from jump. And... She never complains about Don to him. So as for all he knows, a happily married, I mean, not so happy that it's not working. But other than that, she doesn't even, you know, I mean, he, yeah, <laughs> it really. Yeah, I think Henry, really, yeah, totally. Like Henry, uh, uh, Henry's good attributes, attributes are there for sure. But like the context in which we get to know Henry, I'm like, mm, I don't know about this guy. He's a belly toucher. <laughs> I mean, it's just. <laughs> he sure is. Henry is a belly toucher. So let's see. I have Peggy and Pete sharing the desk. Don, we'll replace one of these couches with a table for you, and we're adding two additional phone lines. Media will be in the bedroom with the television. The couch gets the bed. And no one is to come to this office. If you have meetings, please take them elsewhere. I don't want them in the lobby or the bar of this hotel. Oh, I just the the you. I mean, and you touched on it. There just a couple other gold gold moments, but you touched on it in an overarching way. We were talking about Jared Harris, but. The the plot math that needed to happen for this episode to work and for who, you know, all, almost all episodic drama happens in that gap between what the characters know and what you know. And mm. and um, and it, it, just like the how it plays out with um, with him and his bosses and what he knows and who he thinks he's protecting. And then it turns out he's not only is he not protecting them because that that setup isn't what's happening they are certainly not protecting him his being able to pivot his being able to throw the, to use his power in order to work things this is it is it is for sure i mean oceans 11 is the best example of 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 how to say what it is but it's also like the last 20 minutes of any superhero movie because it's where you get to see everyone use their superpowers 
because that right. is his superpowers. Like he's able, you know, as as um um Roger says, do you know do you know how to do what he does? Like no, and then we get to see him gloriously do it, and then to see, as you said when you watch it at the party and people uh, cheered because it is like a superhero showing up is when Joan shows up and brings her superpowers and you get to see these people be the masters of what they are um, all at one time is what makes this exhilarating. Yeah. Joan, listen, I did project management for years and Joan, we know her as the head of the secretaries, but then she was the head of the traffic department. We saw her running traffic. And it wasn't a traffic department, but we saw her running what they called a traffic meeting. And then she refers to a job bag, which some agencies still have them, a physical mm-hmm. job bag. And as soon as she shows up and she starts doing her magic, you're like, these guys would be arrested Sunday night oh, yeah. <laughs> if she hadn't shown For up. Sure. Like she called a mover. They wouldn't even, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't think of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you're right. It, you're right with with Lane, particularly that 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 it was he, he was so God, he was so beaten down by these guys and they were just doing it again and laughing about it. And I mean, I <laughs> those guys to me are um, are the watchers council, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like they're just <laughs> and it's I, one of them might be the same guy. I don't even know. But, you know, they're just so terrible to him. And for him to finally it's like, ha- has he secretly been plotting in his head? Like, if I ever wanted to do it, I could- I don't know. But I- but he's so fast. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I think-, think he's just such a he's just a, he's such just a so glorious fast. logistics guy. Like, and those people are are absolute magicians. Um, and and that the scene where he gets fired is so good, and it's handled again. It, Weiner's ability to look at a scene and go, and I mean, the the show, the show's ability to look at a scene and go, um, how would this normally be played? Does it make sense to play it the normal way? Or would an injection of humor make this land in an almost inexplicably deeper way? And Mm -hmm. that's what they, that's what they do there. Like that scene almost feels like a a Peter Sellers scene. Like it's, Mm, it's so quick and funny in a specific way with regard to how he receives getting fired and then telling, I forget the assistant's name, essentially. Hooker. Yeah. Tell, telling him where, where to have his things shipped. And then when he doesn't know what's going on, he's like, he's like, you know, you're smart enough. You'll figure it out. I, that he whipped out. He had the address ready yes. in his pocket. Yes. <laughs> and him. Here you go. Here's where you sent yes. it. Oh, it's just amazing. Yeah, it it's is just, just amazing. amazing. It is just amazing. He's one of the, he's one of the best. I mean, he, uh, uh, Jared Harris, obviously, but just Lane as a character is such a, a, a profound character. Um, yeah. There's no, there are no. I mean, you, you're watching the show deep, and you've been clearly writing about the show for forever. But I just don't. One of the senses that I get here that I never got in in Breaking Bad, which I which I I love a lot and i think you know happened kind of not right after but happened had overlap and and became the other big drama uh whatever 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 it was um i've never watched oh sure so i think i think one of it but i mean i know that i know the premise and one of its for sure like i think that it was like when you just think about man dramas (laughs) Like that center that center, <laughs> that center on sociopaths. You had um, um, the Sopranos, Sopranos, then Mad Men, then Breaking Bad. And, yeah, that's and totally fair. Sopranos, it, probably because it was so very much the first of its kind in the ways that it was, and then Breaking Bad. I think for ways that are a little less forgivable, they 
they would have characters that if I never saw them again, I'd be like, whatever. Mm. I never, I can think of few characters outside of maybe some like paramours or, or like Sally's friends or whatever, that if I think about them in a real way, don't have a real impact on, on me and, and just in how fully fleshed they are. Um, they are all, they all land sort of spectacularly. It doesn't feel like they're loose ends. And that, that's obviously the way with the people who are not the primary players in the show, the people who stay with you the entire run of the show. Um, but it's just with random characters. I feel that way too. With, with, Mr. Sheffield, you know, Lane's boss. I feel that way with that guy. Like I know that guy, <laughs> you know, he's great yes. with, with Freddie. I mean, these are, these are all so they're spectacularly deep characters. Well, a great example of that is, well, first of all, some of that is the casting. Mm-hmm. It's the writing and the casting mm-hmm. because you could take anybody who has two lines and follow them home and you know, they would be capable of, of having their own scene in their own show and their home, you yes. know, it, it, and, and of course that's what happens. Smaller characters in the first season start, you know, might get bigger in the second or, or, or whatever. I mean, the flaw, the, the, the flaw that we we've discussed and we've written about and the fans definitely talked about is we never do follow Carla home. Right. And she, you know, right. the, the, the lack of attention to the people of color right. until much later, um, probably in response to, uh, to that reaction. What, um, was shameful. And Carla, I mean, Carla's such a great example of that. Carla's sitting on that couch between the kids. Now, I don't know if we'd ever seen her sit on the couch until Kennedy was killed when she sits right next to Betty and she pulls out a cigarette. Um, (laughs) And she's obviously sat on the couch before because if she's babysitting, why wouldn't she? But I think something shifts here too with her. And you see, you know, and I I thought about that scene as a statement of how many kids weren't raised by their parents. Like, I, like, you know. Betty wasn't. But Betty wasn't. No, totally. And Dick wasn't either. Right. In a very different you way. Know, That's right. It's just like yeah. how many people had somebody or something or a television or something, you know, Bill in in Freaks and Geeks. And, you know, how many people were raised just by the TV, by, by um, you know, Albert Brooks on TV? Like how many people were raised by some stand-in? And we see that so gloriously here. But, but yes, Carla is – and to all the faults of the stuff that you're talking about with regard to sort of how deep the sh- – how much the show gives the character. But even without that, to to your point, kudos to casting in a huge way, you, even in the brief glimpses that you see of these people, you see so much. You see way... You it's a whole person. Yeah, you see 90, you know, you see the 90% that's not on, on the screen. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what, you you sort of pick up on this early on in, in the first season. Within any given episode, you don't know where you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Geographically, mm. you don't, right? You were all of a sudden we're in a we're in a um, beatnik bar, right? Mm-hmm. We're in a coffee house, or you know, you don't know. And and in the end of the second season, you don't know if the show's moving to Cal, if Don's moving to California, right? And in the third season, they fulfill on that. You know, they blowed up the school, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> right? They they you don't see it coming. You don't see it coming. I love how McCann is always a character in the show from the beginning to the end. McCann is a character. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you don't see it coming. Surprising but inevitable. Always comes back about this show. Of course. I mean, this makes what they do makes perfect sense. Yeah. But holy shit, we know nothing about season four from 
now. Right. We don't. We know nothing. As far as I know, the writers. I th- as far as I know, Matt wrote himself into a corner. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a. You know. Well, it's not really a corner. I guess the the world. This one wasn't a corner so much as the world is wide open. But it's not like there was. I don't think there was a necessarily a plan. Right. It's, but but here we are. Season ends. Show's over. They don't lock the doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're done. And we're done. And and. I also don't remember where they were with contracts. Did we even know we had a fifth, uh, fourth season yet? I don't remember that part. Sure. Um, there was every year was a little different, and finally they got longer. But it's just you know this show started about a man in an ad agency who cheats on his wife, and now that man doesn't have a wife, and that ad agency's gone. <laughs> so it's just like, what is Mad Men? Right. Right. It's just, and that is Mad Men. Right. Love that. Yeah, they did it. It's a good one. <laughs> Alex? Roberta. You got anything else? Because this was so much fun. No, this is a blast. This was really great. I I I feel like we we tackled it. Like I said, I mean this is, I remember where I was. I mean, you obviously remember where you were. It was a very spectacular circumstance, but I, I remember where I was. I was staying at my friend's house in Portland, Maine, on Spruce Street in Portland, Maine, sitting and watching this at, at a desk. I remember where I was watching this episode and it was like burned into me, and I was like, this is this is a new favorite and it's just as good, whatever. It feels like eight or nine years later, maybe, maybe more than that. I'm not sure. I have the date. Uh, it aired on, it aired 2009. Oh God. Yeah. 12, 13, 12 years later. It is. Yeah. It remains one of my favorite pieces of television. It's just incredible. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you, my friend. This was so good. And uh, catch Alex on You Are Good talking about, you know what I love about your podcast? I don't, mm. I don't know all the movies and it never matters. I appreciate that. You can't listen to this podcast if you if you don't know Mad Men. Like there's just no point, right? Like right. that's 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 the hole we're in. It's the joyous hole we're in, but it's the hole <laughs> we're in. You can listen. I you know, I mean, I will resist your episodes about movies I haven't seen and then I'm like, oh, "Fuck it, just listen." And it's it never it never doesn't work. I appreciate that. I always get so much out of it and then I want to see the movie. Well, thank you so much. I hope you hear that movie people. Do it. <laughs> All right. You know, that's a little humiliating, I have to say. A little hum- little little podcasting cuckold going on there. They had to had to kind of shake that one off. But okay, look, it was a good, great, I should say. You guys were were a lot of fun to listen to. Alex is ridiculous. Isn't he wonderful? I loved getting just just another another brain in there on on these things. I'd love I'd love well, his analysis of Don is sort of right? kind of breathtaking, right? Just the insights. Yes. I mean, it yeah. really was. It was a whole new take, a whole fresh um, perspective. And, you know, Alex is such a like, he's such a feelings guy, right? But it, it, it just, he just brought it. it yeah. It, I mean, I loved it. I The discussion of the, the divorce discussion with the yeah. kids was really amazing. And talking about, you know, all this trauma and the loss and, and all of these things. So, you know, I loved, I loved just, just being a listener on, on that one. And it's true. You, you, there's worse episodes. In fact, every episode of any series is pretty much worse (laughs) to have to, you know, to, to, to dissect, than shut the door, have a seat. That's a, uh, just an ATF. There's no, no, no way around it. I'm telling you, I'm I'm pretty best. much planning on watching it once a week for the rest of my life. I just think <laughs> it's just, it's so wonderful. Right? It does. It packs. I love. Well, you guys made a comment how much it packs yeah. in to a uh, 44 minutes or whatever, and um, 
I didn't think of it that way. I'm like, yeah, it really does. It really does. This this felt like a double episode in terms of just how much whizzes by, how much how much consequential action plot wise just is crammed in there from from the jump. And um, speaking of the jump, so you guys talked about that scene, the opening scene with Connie, mm. which first of all, the whole thing going back to when when um, Don realizes that. Connie is Conrad Hilton from the from the bar. Uh, that was July of sixty three, right. and this is November. This is like all of <laughs> a couple of months, like five months. So this whole thing has like been a, a bit of a whirlwind romance, uh, to to not not even exaggerate. And um, but Don, of course, you guys you know spelled it out, and and Don calls Connie out for his manipulation, and it's sort of like. We think Don's going along with it. He's somewhat complicit. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting fired. All right. All right, you ball buster. Here we go. <laughs> right? And he, and, he, and, he, and he calls yeah. him out of the carpet. Like I said, we have never seen him get angry before with, no, with Connie. So what I found interesting is <laughs> Connie's response is more manipulation. It's almost as if Connie paraphrased. It's almost like Connie says, "Yeah, I manipulated you. That's what I do. I manipulate people. What you're gonna cry about that? Fuck you, right? That was it. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> Which is um, an interesting, you know, not that you would expect Conrad Hilton to, uh, you know, put his tail between his legs or apologize, but you you'd expect a little bit of just a just a, a an ounce of shame. Well, what he what he what he's really saying is. Yeah, I've been treating you like shit. You don't like that I'm treating you like shit? Do better. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a wild, yeah. what a what a yeah. message. You, you like, ask for my business, you're lucky to get it. Here's This this comes with the territory. This is what it's all about. Which he said to him that very first time in that <laughs> hotel room. Yeah, you could you could say you could definitely point back to that. So, you know, I just found that that whole thing is was fascinating both from the standpoint of yes, it's closure to the Don and Connie relationship. But it kickstarts, you know, that's the first domino in the episode where we talk about dominoes, right? He goes back, he has this flashback. Let's talk about the flashback for a second. What <laughs> in here's here's my here's my nit to pick about this episode. Archie Whitman has all this grain that he's harvested. He's part of a cooperative. Because the prices are so low, he tells the cooperative to go pound sand and he's gonna go sell it himself. <laughs> just to, just to show you, you know. The dynamic, I guess, maybe it's who he's married to, what the, what the relationship is like. Uh, but it seems that in no time, Abigail has convinced him <laughs> to do a complete 180. <laughs> All right, now I will sell. You know, fuck you. I'll go out. I'll sell it tonight. Blah, blah, blah. I'm drunk. I'm going to go take the horse out, drunk drive down the path or whatever. Come on, son. And he, he, com- he completely revert. There, there's no logical... <laughs> There's no real reason, even with it, even with a drunk character who might be unpredictable. I would, I would sooner believe he's overly stubborn and and you know drinks himself blind drunk and passes out than than would decide to go take the grain and sell it. Which I don't know how you take the grain, literally take the grain to market and sell it at two in the morning. You or whatever. don't. You go and you cut it. Well, you show up somewhere by 6 a.m. And, and whatever and you it cut a deal. Sounds, it, it all sounds, that, that's the, the most implausible thing about this episode is that that piece to me. I don't know. I just feel like in the last five years, we have seen insane decisions being made by 
terrible people who pretend they have an ideology and then they dig in and then they flip mm -hmm. and then they dig in on that. And, you know, without without going down a very long path with that, we've seen it. You know, it happens. No question. I just don't know. I don't I didn't buy that this character was making this reversal in this moment. That's all. Nitpick. I have a question. Yeah, shoot. I asked Alex and I, I'd like to ask you when when Don is at Peggy's apartment. I remember Matthew Weiner saying to me, by the way, what a slob Peggy is. And I <laughs> I was like, and I think we were talking about something else. But when when I look at this scene, I was like, Oh, I see what he's saying. Like she didn't even pick anything up for Don. It was yeah. very funny. Although there was a little there was a little like refusal and because she was so postured in that scene to yeah. Yeah, to not was... be welcoming. So the hell like it reminded me of yeah, um sit down if you like. Yeah. It reminded me of on 30 something when Michael Stedman starts taking off his pants in front of Miles Drentel after he's left the agency. It was just like such a fuck you. Mm -hmm. Anyway. <laughs> But I digress. No, Mike, Don says that wonderful speech to Peggy, and I'm just going to quote it mm -hmm. again. He says, there are people out there who buy things, people like you and me, and something happened, something terrible, and the way that they saw themselves is gone, and then the rest of it. Now, we know what that something is for mm -hmm. Peggy. What do you think Don thinks the something is for Don? Probably Adam. Probably. Mm. Although he could have delivered this speech probably five years prior before right? Adam. And it would have been it would have been uh switching identities. Right. Or you know? or, or or just surviving. Or, or his fucked out childhood, right? Yeah. So so yeah, I think Don can pick him. Don's got a buffet of <laughs> of trauma to select from in that. But but it's funny you you read that out verbatim because to me that was another, just like Henry with this kind of how do you want to interpret it, JFK thing? Read that again, line by line, and I'm going to interrupt. There are people out there who buy things, people like you and okay, me. Okay, there's the American population. Go, keep going. And something happened. Our president something, got killed. Mm, Go something ahead. terrible. Very yeah, good. Keep going. And the way that they saw themselves is We gone. thought we were living in an America where that couldn't happen. It just happened, and now we're all at loose. We're, what the fuck? And nobody understands that, but you do, and that's very valuable. Yeah, that's so, great. So to me, that was, and I wish we had done that for the Henry thing, because I think we could have played it exactly the same way. And uh, I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know if that's just what's swirling around, you know, Matt, Matthew Weiner's brain or whatever. But to me, these are all sort of, they seem too conspicuous to me to, to be completely, oh, really? You think that? Like, I think it's got to be, it, if not intentional, there's a consciousness about it. Um, so I'll I'll stick with that. This one doesn't ring as um, obviously where you're pointing to as the other, as the Henry thing does. Because mm -hmm. the Henry, if you go line by line, it absolutely, it flips around and it all that. This is, you can read what you just read into it, into it. But if Kennedy hadn't been shot, you wouldn't be like, what, is there some other meaning here? Except it very much has the same, um, even cadence as Peggy on the couch to Pete in the season finale of season two. There's a line to draw. Yeah, I think so. And she also, I mean, she says there's something, you know, there's something inside you and then that something is gone. And you're like, do you mean a baby? And she doesn't mean a baby, but it definitely plays both ways. It's 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 out there. It's, it's very much a valid interpretation, you know, as 
any piece of art, right? I mean, you can interpret it lots of different ways. So those are all valid. And to me, not that I'm an art uh, critic, but but to me, it, when you're going to create an interpretation or if you, if you feel something in particular – it helps if you're going to discuss that feeling to have something to point to, right? We always talk about, well, is there evidence for that? Or are we just completely making this shit up? And it's okay to make shit up if that's how you feel. But to me, the more valid stuff of if we put it all in a, in a, put it out all on the table and try to, to rank it in terms of validity. To me, the stuff where you can point to some evidence is the, is, is the more valid, but whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's how it all, it's how it all breaks down. Um, my last real point has to do with uh <laughs> you know this was the third season it was the sec the first season if in which i think matt weiner had that two year contract he knew he was going over i couldn't remember where we were yeah, when i did, was talking to alex he did yeah two single seasons one and two and then got two years three and four together so this was like an intentional uh not a half time well he knew this was half time of his two year deal and again, after that, maybe it's four years and done, right? So so he knows he's going off to this other place that he's going to crack, cr- crack Sterling Cooper irreparably and that they're going to come back in some other form. And the McCann thing, obviously, is, is always fun. So what, what's so great about this episode, uh, again, not an art critic, but to me, it's always fun to measure something against whatever its intentions were. In other words, you know, it could be a restaurant, it could be a play, it could be... The, the, painting or whatever. It's sort of like, what was the artist trying to do and how well did they execute that thing? So if they were aiming small, but they they did it great, then just because it's small shouldn't be a, a mark against. If you aim small, but you knock it out of the park, then that's greatness in its own way for its scope. Um, sometimes you aim really big and you hit or miss. Uh, this to me was, was, <laughs> was this team and Matthew Weiner, like, Aiming for a crowd pleaser, aiming for uh, you called it Ocean's Eleven a little bit, you know, a couple times. Like that's the that's the real genius of it is is executing something so perfectly. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make everybody get up and cheer, which we were at that party and we were getting mm. up and cheering, um, and it did that. And that's just to me, that's what's great about it. Is it is it reached for something and grabbed it and executed it, and you just go. You, that's the satisfaction of it as a viewer. It's very entertaining. And Matthew Weiner, with all the kind of punches he pulls throughout this series, <laughs> he knows how to satisfy when he wants to. That season, you know, our, the series finale has, has it, it's not the ending of The Sopranos, right. which I do know. <laughs> well, how that I heard ends. about, yeah. You know, and, I mean, it, it's, it, it had a lot of, you know, no, it's conclusive. it had a lot of satisfaction. It, it wrapped things up Absolutely. in a way that, that you know, and, and this, this Satisfies. episode so you know like like i said I, you know I've, I've said it before and i i said it to alex like i didn't know what was missing in, in emotionally for me and it was because it was missing emotionally in these characters they're all sort of walking around kind mm-hmm. of deadened yeah i didn't know it was missing until we get here and i was like oh my god we're all everybody's alive and wonderful and yeah. doing things well you said so, he put, you know, that that matthew pulls punches and um he does. He he doesn't make it easy for the viewer a lot of time. So you're, you know, you're you're wanting this or you're expecting this or characters beguile you and and he's so brilliant at it. But here it is. We're closing it out. Season three. Let's go, guys. We're gonna yeah, have sometimes fun. Sometimes he just gives you what you want. Exactly. <laughs> That's, That's it. Because you've earned it. 
And that's yeah. what it comes down to. So it's great. Awesome stuff. And I'll include the the, the closing song. I had never heard this song, Shadaroba, this beautiful Roy, Roy Orbison, Orbison tune. Um, never heard it before in my life. Didn't beautiful, know Beautiful, but word. haunting and weird. And Well, yeah, very Roy Orbison. And, and never heard it before, looked it up, and just, guys, look up the lyrics to this song. This, you will look at the lyrics and you will go, oh, did this, did they... Did they uh, dig up Roy Orbison's corpse and have him record a song for Mad Men? Is hey, that could you write is? a Mad Men song? Yeah. <laughs> Can you write something a little, little offbeat and yet perfect? That's this. It's it's fabulous. So and of course, mm-hmm. period, period specific. Great stuff. So Dan, Dan Jasper. <sighs> what? What's your quote? Here's my quote. I'll tell you my quote. Are you sure? <laughs> when Roger says to Don. So you do want to be in advertising after all, you know, because not only are they getting bought by McCann, who was recruiting, uh, recruiting Don back in season one, which he refers to with, with Connie, right? I, I'd say I turned him down three years ago, right? That's um, right. So there's that. But really, it's, it's Roger's, not, not, and not rubbing Don's nose in it, but he, it's, a, it's a dig to a friend, really, saying, Saying, see what you told me wasn't quite, you know, you're, you're, you're rethinking this. You do like advertising. And I think there's a lot, a lot to that line for the viewers and for the characters. And it's, um, and it kind of comes out of nowhere, but it doesn't. So that's, that's a great line for me. By the way, you mentioned the McCann. Um, before I do my quote, I just want to say Connie refers to Don as a prize mm-hmm. pig. Roger says, you're sniffing around because I have a golden pork chop dangling from my neck. And then at some point, somebody refers to, I'm sure it's Don McCann as a sausage factory. So, you know, just like, sure, one magical animal. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. It's great. A lot of of pork. All right. (laughs) My quote is Roger saying to Don, you're no good at relationships because you don't value them. And, you know, this is what Alex and I got so into is is this sort of Don migration, Don's, Don's migration through like the, the apology tour and what Alex talked about as the, the eat shit tour. But mm. certainly by the end, certainly by the time he's there with Peggy, it's because he knows that he's no good at relationships because he doesn't value them, and it's time to maybe reconsider. That, that wasn't just a a venting from Roger. That was oh, that was like like a real nugget of truth. Yeah, you know that's that right. was really the 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 core of the issue with Don. It's true. It's true. Well, this definitely was an episode where Don and Roger started telling each other some truths, mm-hmm. both 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 in that format and also, you know, just inside of a friendship that that might get developed. Well, I now. love that bar scene. You guys talked about that bar scene a little, and you said um, Alex calls it the Eat Shit Tour, which is good. But the um, I never noticed it before. But right when that scene opens, the, the first lines of dialogue is Roger. They had just come from Pete's apartment. And Don had to eat shit at Pete's apartment. And uh, Roger's line opening up the scene is, that little shit. (laughs) (laughs) I never picked up on that before. But they're literally, you know, they're back to shitting on Pete, uh, you know, the minute minute they leave the the apartment. And uh, so, you know, things the more things change, right? The more they stay the same. (laughs) Yeah, they're not all just joining hands and uh, and forming a love circle. All right. Good stuff. All right, guys. Check out our merch. 
We've got a link in show notes. It's a really, really, really cool designs yeah. by our buddy Albert Stern. And we will see those of us who join us for the Zoom. Uh, they joined it. We can't wait to see you there. Otherwise, we will be back here next week for <laughs> part one of our season wrap. Yes. Our own little tour. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Hey, Coiners. We're so glad you're enjoying the show. One of the best ways to support us is to give us rave reviews on Apple Podcasts and to share us on social media. A great way to literally support us is at our Patreon, where we've got some extra content. Patreon.com slash theycoinditpod. If you're able, we love you either way. And we love your comments and your questions. Bring them on. Questions at theycoinditpod.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, at TCI Mad Men Pod. We've got a lot more Mad Men to get to, and we can't wait. See you next episode.